Nirikov? What are you doing here? Oh, Zizha, Nondav, it's so good to see you again. Well, is it really Zizha? For I am truly Demir Agent Josh Karam. Oh, my goodness, Zoinks! Well, you know, funny you should mention that. For I am Demir Agent Rachel Barkelow, and I am here to take over Dungeons and Gatherers. Dun dun dun. Welcome to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. And as you probably have guessed, Aaron is still not back yet, but Aaron is currently sailing home from Alaska back to their place. So soon Aaron will be on. But we have someone very special on, someone familiar. Rachel is on the podcast here to take over a little bit. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm happy to be a placeholder. <laughs> <laughs> You are more than a placeholder, and we haven't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast yet, but if you haven't read into the descriptions of the Ravnica episodes we've been releasing, Rachel is the sole editor and just absolutely perfect job on editing it, I will say. It is just a pleasure for me to listen to, and also, it's very nice not to have to edit uh, certain podcasts that go out, because, you know, y- you get so caught up in seeing the waveform, so... Thank you for taking that for a bit. But not only that, yeah. just doing such an amazing job with the editing of the podcast. You are very sweet, considering I truly do not know the language of sound at all. I'm learning as I go, and it kind of just started as me playing around. And I'm thankful that y'all let me record your voices and play with them, essentially. There's the inspiration of Freddie Wong that's always going to be like floating in the upper corner for the shout out of the Dungeons and Daddies podcast that just honestly has such masterful editing. And I'm clearly not at the place getting close to that yet, but it's always just such a nice thing to hear. And he's such a cool guy about like revealing tips about editing. So, you know, one oh, day, one day we'll get to impeccable. like the third of that level. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's impeccable. I am a huge, huge Dungeons and Daddies fan. Um, my friend Brian introduced it to me and I just fell down a rabbit hole. I'm actually on their Patreon and Freddie has, I think like an eight hour live stream of him just editing and he just kind of explains everything that he's doing, which is pretty insane. And honestly, the addition of sound effects to the recording process and like hearing the music in the background, because there's so many, um, smaller D&D podcasts that I'll listen to from time to time again, you know, just to hear what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's a little bit too much of like nothing else going on except talking. And when you get to hear like the crowd cheer or the door knock or even um, the the breaking of the nutshell or whatever it was, <laughs> there was like a small breaking of a nutshell noise. Like yeah. it just like brings you back into the sound. So it's not like you're listening, you drone out for a bit and you're like, oh, they said something. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. How much time has passed? I think it adds a lot of texture. I like incorporating the noises when it feels much more related to the ambiance. I think my favorite place to put in sounds is when Aaron is describing like a place for the first time and he was describing the docks. And I think it's it's more interesting when you can hear water and seagulls while he's describing water i know it sounds silly but to me that's the place that it's the most interesting but for the nutshell why 
Ryan decided to do this. I have no clue, but he was eating peanuts the entire time we were recording. I think the second Ravnica episode, which drove me up the wall because before, you know, I'm silencing everything and taking all of that out. All I was hearing were peanut shells over and over and over again. And I was like, you're picking the loudest food. Like you might as well be eating an apple. But there was a weird point when Aaron said in a nutshell. And at that exact moment, Ryan cracked a peanut open and I didn't manipulate it at all that it just happened. And the same thing occurred when Aaron said spurting liquid or goo or whatever. And again, the peanut shell just made that weird like noise. And I I just kept it in because I thought it was so funny. So you're saying these are original Foley effects, not taken yeah. from anywhere else. They were created Mm-mm. during the record. That <laughs> By Ryan eating peanuts. <laughs> I was going to say the nutshell is like more ingrained in my brain right now. Like that was just such a perfect like cracking of a nut and i don't say that often i don't think i've ever said it before but like that is <laughs> I mean, why would you? like the best <laughs> i don't i'm not really in situations where i have to listen to people cracking nuts but you know that was by far the best one i'll say so really great fully effect work and since aaron can't defend themselves i can say all the things i want about the ravnica podcast it is really such a fun time to have Aaron DM and the world that they have been able to create around the Ravnica universe has been so much fun. We have three episodes of the podcast out right now at this moment. We are working through the recording process again. So it was a batch of three. So you're going to have to stay tuned to see what keeps on happening mm-hmm. within Ravnica because it's going to get fun. But you just got to hold on for a little longer before you get to hear the nuts cracking and the, the spurting <laughs> of the... <laughs> Of the various things. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh God, I feel like a I feel like a devil when I say that. Yeah. You're not a devil, Josh. Only sometimes. Yeah, I am a huge fan of Aaron DMing as well. Like both of you guys are really, really excellent. And it's cool to see the differences and respond to the differences in DMing as well. One of my favorite things about both of you, I'm going to plug Aaron right now, uh, are the voices that they they do. I am obsessed with all of the accents, even when Aaron changes a character like a sentence later. (laughs) But there's there's such a joy in in hearing those different voices. They're just really good at accents, which I am not. Like my Russian is truly terrible. It's not Russian. We really shouldn't call it that because that in itself is offensive. But It's like a Russian Slav, no, no, a Ravnica Slavic. We'll call it Mm, that. Like it's a Ravnica specific accent that we have created. Not because we're bad at Russian accents because it's, that is the Ravnican accent. Which is kind of funny because in our Amiric campaign with Zoe, Isolda is my other character. She's from the Rakdos Guild. She has kind of like this weird Brooklyn-y accent, which was initially the Ravnica, but now it is absolutely Slavic. Yeah, there's there's no going back. It's funny when you say that because when I, since a, a friend of mine who I do magic with is currently DMing a, Ra, uh, a Ravnica campaign in person, when I was building my Wildfire Druid, since um, he is part of the Rakdos Guild at first, I was like, oh yeah, my name's Lucis, you know, Wildfire. I'm like, no, I... <laughs> I'm not going to do the Brooklyn thing today. I think I'm going <laughs> to take it in another direction. But that stuck with me, the fact that everyone from Rakdos 
maybe sounds like Trixie from time and time again. Yes, absolutely. Honestly, I think Trixie's my favorite character. And I love that we made her just by total happenstance. She seems like a really permanent part of Ravnica now and one of those NPCs that just is going to show up again and again and again. Because in episode three, when we canonically make her the girlfriend of one of the Demir agents that uh, Cinder is playing cards with, it's just so funny. It just organically happened because all the voices align and it just it feels really, really right. The third one is probably my favorite. There's so much role playing in it. I love it. I love the role playing way more than the combat. And I think part of that is just being an actor. And also part of it is I get really stressed out with combat, which is why I'm always a glass cannon. I hate being all up in it. So Nirikov on that level actually stresses me out quite a bit because I have to be in it because he only does melee. So you're melee. No, definitely. It's uh, no melee. You could we could go melee. That's that's the Ravnica pronunciation for oh my melee. Goodness. It's it's a weird it's it's a weird cultural bridge. But it's funny <laughs> you bring that up because I when it comes to the performance aspect of doing a a session or a one shot for a podcast, you do have to be weary of combat because the one negative that has always been a drawback to D and D in general and is why people go towards powered by the apocalypse or the cortex system is that combat is built slow. It's kind of a slow grind to killing your enemy. It's not mm-hmm. like if you're a rogue and you run up and you you do an assassinate as your assassin subclass, you're not guaranteed to kill the person, even though, like, story-wise, that would be, like, the epic hit in a movie that you get as you sneak up on the beholder that you're Definitely. about to slay. And the cool thing is that D&D, you know, has been working to try to turn it into more of a role-play-friendly Zone because they know they lose out by the the two d six system when it comes to like the true role playing mechanics and that's why it's nice that the wild beyond the witchlight has just come out which is a brand new book by D anD D which the adventures within it can be done without a single thing of combat. What a segue! <laughs> I know, right? Hey, I'm always here for the segues. We've been doing I don't know. This is like the 29th episode of the podcast. I hope I'm getting good at these by now, but. Um, <laughs> I think what's really nice is um, there's a lot of people that talk to me sometimes who do other systems and they're like, why haven't you switched from D&D yet? Because D&D is such a clunky clunky grind of a system for role-playing. And my thing is like, D&D has just like always been in my heart. It's the thing I've been playing the longest. So for me, I just try to, and Aaron does it as well, very well, I think, is like just trying to make D&D the most role-play friendly thing and finding ways that when combat has to become a thing, it's fun, it's interesting, and the party at that moment is like, all right, I'm ready to do combat again. Like, okay, it's time for the combat to happen again. So, you know, it's it's good that it's changing. I know that you, you've already said it, you're definitely more of a, a role-play character overdoing the combat portion of it. So it's fun to see the changes coming, which is good. I feel like with people that you know, might not be as comfortable in an improv atmosphere. The role playing can be intimidating and it can be hard. And unless you're with a group of people that you feel really comfortable with, there there's a self-consciousness to it because you don't want to seem stupid or 
too weird or too silly or whatever i actually hate improv as an actor like i hate improv games i hate jumping in the circle it's not fun for me it makes me very stressed out because i feel like you're supposed to be funny at least you know with with Mm. a high school and even into college a little bit like with improv it's supposed to be funny and i think part of the reason i like the role playing within D&D so much, especially with you guys, is A, I don't feel stupid around you. Because even if I do something stupid, you guys are so kind and lovely and you laugh anyway, you know? And, you know, if it's really ridiculous, we just scratch that idea and move on. But as well, within the context of D&D, there is so much fodder there, particularly when the DM creates the story, to actually get serious and be dramatic and improv within a more subtle context in a, in a smaller way. And I know that I'm very prone to go on these weird speeches <laughs> where I'm just really digging into the drama of it because that's where my heart is like drama I, I love it so much and finding emotional depth. And I know in characters yeah. like Mirakov or whatever, you know, it's not He's definitely a bit more silly. You gave me an opportunity to really find emotional context, actually, in the very first campaign that we did, the first time that I role-played and did Dungeons & Dragons when we were working in Alaska. I played this um, this wizard in Necromancer. Her name was Anastriana Galanodal, went by Anna. And her backstory, she was a twin. She had an identical twin sister that when she discovered her magic it exploded and she accidentally killed her. And you had this really amazing body swap episode. And in order to get back into our own bodies, we had to kill versions of ourselves. And so in that moment, I immediately was like, oh my God, I have to kill my sister again because that's what I was looking at, my identical twin. And that's the stuff that I really like. I like the dark things. I like macabre. <laughs> we, just, we just like to get a little dark here. Let's uh, pull open a little bit of Edgar Allan Poe and just dive right on into the darkness. But Quote the raven. The raven. You gave me a <laughs> lot of ammunition for um, your character in that first campaign. Like You gave me so much backstory to work with for Anna to create those moments. And for me, when it comes to the improv side of it, which... I think it's so interesting because I've never heard your take on improv because I'm the absolute other side of the spectrum. I've been doing interactive theater for a while now. So I was saying, yeah, the Renaissance Fair is spot on. I'm <laughs> cautious of scripts now because like I love being really? in the unknown and tossing myself at anything. Because I don't know, I've been doing it for like a little bit now. I'm kind of mm-hmm. like a script's confining me. I like to go out the next day, do something completely different. And if I fail, I fail. We'll just see what happens. Because I'm just, I'm a weird monster that way. I just love swimming <laughs> in the unknown. And it, even if it's not funny, like, I'm like, all right, I tried it. Good. Let's keep on moving on. That didn't work. Fail, fail, fail. Let's do it again. But the moments, though, because like we, we laugh a lot in our D&D sessions. Oh, you have to. We have our dramatic moments, but we're a really fun group. And I think- Yeah, if D&D you're not having fun, fun why are you doing it? I know, right? Yeah, like that's why my first experience with Strahd was like so hard because it was just depressing all the time. And mm. Matt was playing it with me at the time. And there were times where Matt and I would like talk after the session. And we're like, I'm really sad right now. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> like I don't feel, I feel very like that was a that was a very hard reality to deal with with Strahd. But my favorite improv moments 
within these campaigns were uh, just spitballing random ones. Uh, when I talked to Ariadne's character as this father to a child, like there was no like thing that was going to say that was going to be a serious moment, but Aaron started to cry and I started to cry yeah. a little bit. I'm like, damn, this is a more emotional moment than I thought it was going to be. And it sneaks up on you. I know. And it also goes back to like, I didn't think that NPC would be as significant as they were, but having the fun, the laughter is so important, but then it evolving into something so true that when it gets a little serious, it feels right. And you as a character are so involved that it's okay that that happened because it's not like, oh, now it's too serious. We can't we can't go there. Like, we're crying. We got to stop. No, like, it was deserved. It was a deserved cry, and by God, it was acting. Yeah, you earn it. You really do. When, when things do become, I guess, heavier, sometimes it does come out of nowhere. Immediately when you were talking about improv moments that just seemed kind of magical. I also thought when we as a group in the Amira 2 campaign were at Acklebend, that, was that his name? Oh, yeah, 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 Acklebend's hut, yeah. Yeah, when we were at Acklebend's hut and Snorri and my character, Zoe, got into an actual fight and Snorri threw a weapon at me intending to do damage and I blasted a spell out and crazily rolled on the wild magic surge table which ended up stopping both of us and we were yeah. frozen for a minute or something and it got it got dark there for a minute and Elisa who plays Snorri we are absolutely best friends in real life but i think she brought up at one point how our characters have like a weird amount of tension that we tend to play and so it's odd that we like we adore each other in real life but our characters in D&D get in fights quite a bit we will we do not get along no you definitely see it in uh Quackadilly and Gwyneth as well within the Candlekeep you see that they definitely don't they they butt heads a little bit you know maybe that's some of the good of D&D cuz D&D with the mechanics that were given gave us that very rare chance that like a fight would break out a wild magic surge would happen and then paralysis would come off of that mm -hmm. to like end the fight like I would never have come up with that and you know I planned originally because you know that's the thing about D&D you got to be ready for a change like Ackleben's hut was going to be just like a nice little fun thing to relax at it would reveal a little bit of Snorri's uh, story arc and his past because Ackleben was related but no it became this really dark fight that emerged and honestly I was just like sitting back as DM and I'm like I did not see this coming took me a little bit of time but I'm like let's change gears this is great you're really good at doing that though both you and Aaron and that is one of I think the most difficult things about being a DM is being able to pivot and conjure the NPCs and situations out of thin air strictly because your players want to do something different I think one of like the biggest and you know, hey, I, I, I didn't mean for this to become such like an actor talk, but it, it I think it's becoming a little bit of that. It's it's the f the first thing I learned when I was playing D, D originally is that there's a difference between someone who wants to write a storybook and an immersive experience among fellow people. If you want to write a storybook, you should just write a storybook because people need to influence the world. And if you get too caught up with the image of something, you're not open to other people. And then for the people who want to play D&D because it's an acting experience, there goes acting. It's like the one actor who's just in the front of the stage in an improv scene. 
and they want to carry the whole thing, and they don't want to drop any preconceived notions. They're a no-and kind of person. They just keep mm. on stopping the flow. <laughs> and no-and. I know this is this is a silly thing because this is the second thing. So I am, like, such a person when it comes to acting to take low status. Like, I will always take low status in an improv scene if I need to. Like, I will mm. be the vulnerable one. I will, like, collapse under any, like, pretense. Like, I play, um, right now I'm this really elegant spy master who's deceptive and stuff. But if somebody sees through my disguise, which is very obvious because I'm not that great of a disguiser, <laughs> I kind of break down. I'm like, how did you do that? What, am I not a good spy master? And then I realize that's what it is with D&D too. As a DM, if a moment I think in my mind is like something that's supposed to be really serious and somebody laughs at it or has fun with it, <laughs> I can't like break down emotionally and be like, you guys ruined this beautiful dramatic moment I have. We can't we can't play D&D anymore. Like that's the way the moment is supposed to unfold then. Like I can't in my mind. I could have an idea if I'm like this will be serious or this will be fun, but it's up to everyone to decide that together. So I mean that's like the way that I think D&D has to be played. It has to be someone writes out something. But you can't go in with the emotional context you think it's going to be. That just has to arrive naturally. Which is why I think, like, you would, we, we're going to play it at some point. We've already talked about it on the podcast. Like, Avatar Legends, from the get-go, is a very collaborative storytelling experience. Because at the beginning, you decide the places you're interested in going. And then you play that day's campaign. And then you finish it. You do your growth segment at the end. And then you plan out another one. And, like, it's just a very collaborative way to tell the story. And I think, like, D&D, it's almost like we're working in the way to make it more collaborative than it actually is. But there are other games out there that are fun with that, like, all right, let's work it out. Like, Blades in the Dark is almost like a fun flashback series where it's like, how did this happen? Well, let me tell the story now going backwards. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's it's cool. And I, I don't know if Ryan talked to you about it. Ryan has, like, a really cool idea. I don't want to spoil it because I think this is a brilliant idea. But has like a really cool idea about just switching DMs constantly and a really cool campaign setting to do it in. So we're going to have to play with some more collaborative ideas, I think, is what this means. I think that would be really, really fun. Uh, I am personally terrified a little bit about being a DM. <laughs> I want to see Ryan DM and Rachel and Elisa. Like, I just want to see them DM once, just so like we've all done it, you know? So it's coming. But if you don't mind... Maybe I could ask because you've been asking me as a DM. If I could ask you as a DM, what did what what's like your idea for like your first time DMing? What is your concept? Like, do you have something that you're thinking of for DMing? One of Aaron's characters that they created actually kind of gave me the idea, and it was something about a cursed book or something. But yeah. the only thing that I could think of. Because it would give me a base to go off of. It wouldn't just be, oh, I have to create everything from scratch, which I think can be very intimidating for a first-time DM. The idea that a group of characters is sucked into the original grim fairy tales, Ooh. not like the Disney-fied versions, like the one in where in Cinderella, the stepsister's eyes get plucked out by birds and... Um, I think in like the original Little Mermaid, she commits suicide at the end or something. Oh, like the, wow. Damn. The dark. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the original Grim Fairy Tales are super dark. I just like dark things. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I think it's my dad's fault. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really do. Yeah. 
because we watched like Helter Skelter and stuff together when I was youngish. I mean, if you got to write a writing credit in, there you go. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Father, for this great grim idea for whatever uh, campaign is to arrive. I love the idea then. And as you know, I'm going to go magic nerd for a second because like Throne of Eldraine is a set that came out a little while back for Magic the Gathering. And that was all grim fairy tale inspired oh, stuff. Cool. So whenever you okay. do that, I'm going to have ideas. I'm going to have ideas now because of those cards that came out. I'm excited. I, I, I look forward to it because honestly, like, you're a good player. Like, I don't know if, like, DMs have a bias when this kind of happens, but there's been a couple things that I've sat through D&D-wise where I'm, like, sitting and there's, like, a lot of people at the table and I'm kind of like, there's, like, some bad players today. I don't know what it is. I don't know if that's me being posh or something, but maybe it's coming from, like, an actor side where it's like, someone's not listening or you know what I mean? Or somebody wants to like go on in their own thing. And like, it's kind of like their yeah. story moment. So they're kind of just taking it completely rather than sharing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm spoiled with this group that we have uh, the candle keep group for those who are listening. Cause it's just so fun. Everyone is very cool. Uh, the group that uh, Seth DMS as well is super great, super fun. And I guess, I don't know, maybe it's, we've been doing it for a while. But I feel as though it like, worked when we started. I don't know. I- I'm-, I'm trying to figure that out. It did. Yeah, we did have a very click together moment. And I think, yeah, we're all nerds at heart. I think that's part of yeah. it. Um, and we are open to being silly. I think most of it is we all have a very similar sense of humor, which is super helpful in terms of, you know, creating jokes or creating humorous situations and... I understand what you mean by like bad player and that's absolutely in quotes because I mean there have definitely been days where I know that I have not been the best and part of that is maybe I'm just bringing like the energy from my day into it and Mm. I I can't shake it or I'm like really tired or maybe I'm just hungry. (laughs) The hangry thing is real. Um, But I think listening is, is the biggest one and some days it's just it's really hard to focus and when the story hops around, you're like, oh, my God, where am I? And, yeah, if you don't know where you are, then you, you can't do anything. And so. I think for a lot of people who jump into D&D or maybe who were jumping into it when the pandemic started mm-hmm. because D&D spiked when that happened, like doing it online is just then another level of the listening that has to happen. Yes. Because nobody's like it's not that feeling anymore. You're around the table. You're sharing the the snacks or the dried pineapple in our case when we would all play together and like we're just all in the same circle so exactly so if someone were having a side conversation it's fine because you know they're not in the scene they could talk aside and then everyone else is focused or even in the moments of combat like everyone's around the table so it's more focused but like yeah doing it online was just like that next step so i guess for all the people out there who are still searching for their like their home group that they feel at home with you'll find it they're out there there's there's good people you can jive with yeah, online, that's that's a whole other thing. I feel like part of it is you immediately when you get in front of com- a computer screen, you're like, I can step away from this. I can, yeah. you know, get up and go to the bathroom and it's not a problem because I'm not yeah. disturbing like the actual group. I'm in my own space. And the, I mean, that's why, you know, any kind of God bless all theaters. And like I did virtual theater as well during the pandemic. Yeah. And it's it's hard because that's not really the format it's meant to be in there's a quickness and a pace and you create a rhythm even in terms of improving 
and it's really hard to do if your internet's lagging, if someone freezes. Yeah. It can totally ruin a moment and take you out of telling the story together. Yeah, which is crazy. And, you know, you could probably also attest to it, too, because you're you're doing theater right now. I'm doing performing as well in person. And, like, it was so funny because, like, D&D, besides doing, like, a couple of virtual things, D&D was my main, like, source of improv and feeling things out in that sense during the pandemic that when I got in a room full of people again. Oh, it kept me sane. I was like, holy shit. D&D's been my only touch to improv right now. I got to use all my D&D's, like, year-long remembering system to put into my real-life work again which was just such like a crazy switch that I had to turn on. Actually, I think one of the reasons I do love D&D improv so much more is because it is almost it's all vocal. I mean, obviously you use your face and stuff too when you when you see each other because that's just a natural byproduct of being a person. But so much of it is just is just vocal and using your words and the hardest thing for me as an actor is always physicality. Every single mm. time I can mentally get into something, but getting it into my body is so difficult and changing my my own personal posture and ticks. And so when I have the freedom of just being able to use my voice, that to me is much more exciting and less nerve wracking. And it feels like you can take more risks. So kudos to you for like loving using everything in your toolbox in an improv setting, because that is... That's the next level for me. D&D is, as you said, is this fun radio play improv session that is just super fun. And by God, I think I live in this like fantasy world where I still think about like Amira concepts just during my day. I'm like, huh, that'd be fun if that happened in the world. So honestly, it's just always going on in my brain. Maybe that's what it is. Do you think part of that stems from childhood fantasies? Like, and I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean that in the sense of like the the five-year-old in me still wants to believe in fairies. And I loved fairy books when I was little and I wanted magic to be real and I wanted to get my Hogwarts letter and all of that stuff. And like I played make-believe in the world. So do you, do you think part of your love for it and the fact that it's always going on in your brain is coming from like a childhood background? Yes. So- off mic right now, I'm looking at a $200 lightsaber I own, a paper mache dragon head that I created, and a couple other very fantasy-driven things. I Yes, yeah, so, like, there, I always say, like, there's a difference between childlike and childish. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with entering a childlike state, but the second someone becomes childish, it's immature and it breaks the state. There's a, there's a really fun Greek word they use um, in some improv circles called the temenos. And Temenos in Greece was a was a was a circle where a space was safe. So what they say is like the play space of a child is their Temenos. There are rules within that Temenos, but sometimes children aren't the best at playing. They like to break the rules sometimes if they're not getting their way, and it kind of destroys the space. And I don't know if this is gonna sound weird, but I'm gonna say it no matter what. There's this cool thing when you get older. And you do things like D&D or go to a Renaissance festival or LARP where everyone is good at playing. They understand they shouldn't break the rules while they're there. It's not like 
if I were, uh, I've noticed this at a Renaissance festival. Sometimes I'll go up to a kid and I'll be like, good sir, uh, perchance have you seen any uh, whispers that might interrupt with the queen's security? And they're like, mm. we're from the future. And I'm like, oh, well, uh, there goes that that bit. I might, I might have to go on and try that somewhere else. I'll play off something. But like doing D&D with a bunch of uh, mature people is getting to live out the childlike fantasies of wanting to believe in fairies, wanting to be a Jedi, blah, blah, blah. And just having a really fun play space that doesn't ever get broken because everybody just wants to play by the rules that are set for the system. And I think there's something magical about that. That's really cool, actually. I like that you added the caveat of the rules. And I think that's really interesting because in college, I had a professor where he talked about how when you see kids playing, they're so in it. They believe in it 100%. But you're right. It's like if someone takes away their toy, they throw a tantrum and then it's gone. I remember um, my mom, we had a play set in the back and I would go to Mars with my mom and she would let me get on the swing and she would push me and we would put pails like little toys all around the yard and she would take me through the asteroid belt and she would shake the swing to make it bumpy. And once I would get off, our backyard was Mars and Apparently, everything was a red rock, (laughs) like whether it was a pail or, you know, a piece of paper, everything was this red rock. And she's but she would ask me all all the time whenever I'd pick something up, what is that? And she'd ask me what I was seeing. And she allowed me to create a world. And she didn't break the rules for me as a child. And I think that was really wonderful. In that case, you were the DM, though. You were the DM of that world. <laughs> well, I was not a very creative DM if the only thing I could come up with were Mars rocks. <laughs> I mean, hey, to be fair, I say ebony statuette or ebony floor way too much. So you're you're fine at that level. We all have our tropes, right? <laughs> we do. I love black uh, architecture for some stupid reason. That's imposing. It, it can be very gothic. I mean, give me a flying buttress any day of the week. I'm obsessed with that. Yeah. <laughs> But that's that's a super I love I love your Mars travel stories that that gave me a warm feeling inside. And I think to bring it back to Ravnica, when when Zija was like there was a moment where Aaron was playing um, the character in the bar in the very first episode. Mm -hmm. And that character, he said, yes, slip. That was it. Slip. And slip said something to me. And I remember feeling very small as Zija. Like, you know, and I, I felt it as an actor, too. I'm like, oh, dang, I, like, I'm this big, brave warrior, and I feel very small by that comment. And because we're all actors and we want to play out this story, I didn't, like a child, say, no, that's not what I want. I am a strong warrior. I'm going to break, slip across mm-hmm. the head, and if I don't get my way, I'm just going to leave the uh, the recording that we're doing. Like, it's magical that we are fine with taking the low status, and whatever comes within the rules that we have, it's meant to happen because that's the play we're putting on. That's the story we're telling. It is the beautiful Temnos we've created of this D&D world. And yeah, I agree. And I don't know if this is directly related to what you just said, but I was also thinking it is so important to have a good group because if someone does get thrown out of it and drops the ball, like... When Aaron was Trixie and said to Nirikov, You're a terrible tipper, I just busted out laughing because it was so funny yeah. and my mind was blank. I literally said that in the podcast. I don't know where to go with this. 
and yeah. it, it was fine because y'all picked it up and you kept going and it was it was flawless even though yeah, i just devolved into a hysterical giggle fit which is honestly we we love laughter laughter i always joke when i'm editing a podcast i'm like keep the laughter in the laughter is the part that is always great and it's fun that we have like this this nice group you know where if somebody does falter a little bit it's not like we push them down into the dirt further. We, 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 we come in with the next line or we come in with the next thing, which is always super great. I always worried about this. And I, I know that we're running a little long, but I just have to say this. Like, I wonder if I was into D&D when I was like much younger because I didn't get into D&D until like the end of high school. If I got into it like younger, like are there I don't know how to ask this question, but like are there kids that play D&D that run into the problem a lot where like kids will get really upset and leave the session and then the game ends like is that something that happens a lot because like they can't divide the character from themselves and they hurt their feeling or they they don't want to play by the rules of the world anymore i'm just curious about then if that would have changed my opinions of D D, where it's like oh johnny from school killed off my character in a really uncool way and i'm pissed about it i mean i would say yes to be honest i think if yeah. something leaves a bad taste in your mouth young it stays with you for a long time yeah in in terms of editing though please please tell me have you noticed your own vocal tics oh yes oh my god everyone has such specific vocal tics and it's hilarious to listen to it's nuts i think there's a thing oh my god i'm doing it right now okay so there's a thing like because i edit the podcast every time mm -hmm. for aaron and myself and i notice that i do a thing where i will talk very slowly to avoid an um, but then I'll pick up the pace too much and kind of lose my train of thought because I want to get something out fast before I forget it. Like those oh are the gosh, two things yes. that I flip around with. <laughs> and it's so weird because yes, you notice the vocal tick and you're like, oh my God, I do this, I have to stop. You'll you do the same sound multiple times before the word actually gets out. Oh wait, explain, hang on, wait. Like, oh gosh, I don't know how to You'll be like the 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 lantern. It's it's not quite a stutter. I have to listen for that. No, I have to listen for that though. I didn't notice well, that. Yeah, I I try to take it out as much as I can. And I know for me, oh my God. I mean, I need to work on A enunciating, especially when using an accent, because there are moments where I'm slurring like crazy. But I also do this really annoying <gasps> Like my oh, breathing yeah. before my sentences is so obnoxious. I just I do every, recognize that. That's funny. Yeah. Everyone's breathing. I just cut out. I'm like, this is muted, 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 because <laughs> I find yeah. it really annoying. Oh and because of Dungeons and Daddies now, I'm such an audio snob. Oh my gosh! Oh, of course. I'm like spoiled with that sound quality that I find it distracting when things are not that seamless and i know my editing is not nearly that seamless so it is something to strive towards that is like close to the perfection of uh editing a D, &D podcast mm -hmm. right there and just sound mixing in general so we have we have some to look up for and for everyone at home ravnica parts four and on will be coming out within the near future they're going to be recorded and they're just going to get better and better with rachel editing so i just wanted to say rachel thank you for having such a great conversation with me today. I, I really enjoyed having you on, not just in the context of like uh, a talk back on the one shot we did or just recording uh, episodes of our one shots and campaigns, but just having a nice D&D &D talk and acting talk too. Thanks.
Yeah, I like talking about this. I know it can sometimes get a little bit self-serving when you're only referencing your own campaigns. And I know it's definitely more interesting for like me to listen to or you uh, or the people involved than others. But I hope someone found it fun. (laughs) People who are listening right now, I honestly, since we've been talking about the experiences we've had personally in campaigns, tell us about like your moments that you've had that might be emotional in the campaign or like really weird moments that maybe if you were a younger D&D player, what happened to your Temenos when you were playing or whatever moments you have, because that's the things I like to hear. I like to hear the great acting moments that have happened in D&D campaigns. And I think that's what's so cool about us since we've shared so many D&D memories together that we can both relate on that. But I agree, you know, other people get your moments to us so we can hear and share in the beautiful acting that you guys have done. Yeah. And if you have those moments, just know that it's a testament to the characters that you've created and the world that you've built, that those moments are made possible. So there's there's a joy and a beauty to what you're doing, even if it is for just you and your friends. So I want to do a couple of announcements before uh, we wrap up our podcast today. So first off, uh, as we said about Ravnica, Ravnica will be coming out. So keep your ears tuned for the next time you see Nirakov, Katarina, Cinder, and Zizia take to the streets of Ravnica or, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil anything if you're not caught up. So catch up or get ready for the next thing's coming. Uh, be on the lookout for Halloween time because we will have a very special D&D slash magic episode we will be doing. Uh, a bunch of fun guests will be on. Don't want to reveal too much yet, but get ready for a spooky time in D&D within the Magic the Gathering universe. So a lot of fun projects coming up. Rachel, thank you so much again. Uh, Is there anything you'd like to plug about yourself for our audience? I dorkily have an Instagram called Knitting En Root, E-N-R-O-U-T-E. It's kind of just a place that I threw the things that I knit because I'm a grandma and also some travel photos. I have a website, www.rachelbarkelow.com, with some of the work I've done. It does need to be updated, but... Yeah, I've, I don't have a huge social media presence in terms of promoting myself, but hopefully one day I can just plug a show I'm in. <laughs> there you go. We're waiting for it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. By the by the time, the next time you're on, big things, big things are going to be Fingers moving, crossed. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the Ravnica podcast takes off. Who knows? Rachel, thank you so much again for coming on. I look forward to the next time you are on, and thank you all so much for listening today. And today... We've been talking a lot about acting and everything. And the one thing that you should know that within the Dungeons and Gatherers Temenos, you can like and subscribe to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Once again, seamless. (laughs) 